when the performance becomes the thing itself, when it stops being something that indicates, when it stops being a symbol, when it stops being something that signifies an idea or an emotion, and it just, for a moment, it becomes that emotion, right? It's not a song about love, it is love. It's not an experience about finding yourself. It's being the hero at that moment, just for a moment, right? It doesn't have to be forever. For a brief moment, your world is disrupted and you've got this relationship between you and the other. If people are making work that enables that moment, then I'm interested. Hi, I'm Nathaniel Skye, the host of the Immersion Nation podcast. Here, the masters of immersive experience create and conjure, muse and imagine the cultural revolution that is unfolding before us. That is immersive entertainment. But what is immersive entertainment? Oh my word, does anybody know? When someone asks you what you did Saturday night, what is the two second explanation? I went to see this movie. I went to dinner at X place. I went to this concert. These work because everybody knows what the movie, dinner, the concert experience is. The experience is the medium, the method of communication. You don't have to work to come up with that mental image. This really doesn't work with immersive entertainment, which puts Immersion Nation and our guest today in a genuinely difficult position because we're both on a mutual mission to explain what is possibly the unexplainable. Our guest is the founder of No Proscenium, an immersive entertainment publication and hotbed of wisdom and support for the immersive community. Noah Nelson is here to help you and me understand why immersive entertainment is so hard to define and ultimately why that might not even be the goal we should be trying for. All right, Noah, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? <laughs> really like, oh, no, uh, uh, no, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, I'm just like, oh, we're just doing, we're doing like drive time morning radio, like, like banter right from the start. It's, it's always a funny like transition. Um, now things are, you know, things are chaos. They're crazy. Um, we're, we're deep in the planning stages for next year's summit, uh, which you know, has been rebranded the here summit and festival. Um, yeah, yeah. And and you know that's that's a that's a high degree of chaos because uh, you got programming and sponsorship and ticketing stuff and like you know and then venue stuff and then you know just guest logistics. So there's 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 a lot there's there's a lot to it all. Um, but um, no, like last night went to a really great um, event here in Los Angeles. There's a this space called the Rendon, which is a it's this. Uh, Oh, man, it's like a, a residency hotel in the arts district that's been turned into a gallery space. So it's like this, you know, three-story building, uh, and the, the 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 rooms are on the the second and third floor, and you enter through the fire escape. And God, last night awesome. they did the, yeah, well they they did this. Um, they did a concert. So this composer composed a 15 minute piece, which each time they did, they, they looped it three times. And in each room, there was a different musician 
uh, in a working in a different style. So in one room, you might have a, a band from Cuba. In another room, you might have a saxophonist. Uh, you might have someone doing natural percussion. Uh, you might have a duo uh, on traditional Korean instruments. And there were like 30 rooms and the in the in the atrium there was uh opera singers and a rapper and uh the whole like there was a sound mix being put throughout the whole building of like the kind of the core through line and some of the instruments were being mixed into that and others weren't so you might you might come into a room and basically be almost getting like the live remix it's like oh here's here's a here's a couple of musicians uh doing you know doing the version of this uh that is uh west african influenced or here's a native american uh, musician and percussionist and all using their their own instruments uh one room that was like magnetic fields that they had recorded all over la a guy beatboxing with his ipad it was really amazing um, uh, and and got me uh, reinvigorated in a, in a in a in a true deep way, so yeah, eh, doing pretty good. Yeah, that sounds that sounds fantastic, and I think it's oftentimes uh, easy to forget the degree to which the sound shapes an experience or the music shapes an experience, and it's really cool to see examples of that being deployed in like really really creative ways like that. Well, yeah, I mean, this was, I mean, really the, the music and the sound, you know, was the experience, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean that, and like, you know, it was shoving past people in, in the, um, in the hallways because there was like about 150, 200 people like crammed into the building. Um, just this idea of being able to like walk through a giant orchestration that was effectively what you were doing. Like, uh, imagine that you took an orchestra and exploded it out so that the audience could walk amongst it. Um, and be inside the music as opposed to uh, being seated away from the music. And um, this is not the first time this this season, actually, where I've experienced something like that um, on the music side of things. There was this great piece at Without Walls called Hall Pass, um, which was structured as a series of... Um, series of vignettes set in a high school being performed by high school students from like a different, ironically enough from a different high school, from an arts high school. Um, it's just like sort of scenes that you might find and all, almost all of it was musical. Uh, there were a couple of things that were just dramatic, but most of it was musical. And the finale of the piece um, involved the entire like 60 person cast uh, singing a song and they were all around us. And, uh, you know, unless you've been in a choir or in a chorus line, not the show, but like in a chorus line, um, you haven't experienced what it's like to have all these voices or in the case of last night, like all these instruments surrounding you with music. Like for the most part as audience members, we're set at a distance, you know, we might be able to get really up close to the stage or even, you know, run up on the stage and get thrown off by security. <laughs> uh, but, but we're usually, unless we are the musicians or the singers, we're not inside the sound. And, um, both of these experiences, uh, they, they brought us inside the music um, just like VH1 does. No, um, it's inside the music, uh, in a visceral way. And uh, both of those experiences probably been my most exciting immersive experiences this year. Uh, in the case of Hall Pass, that, that finale, that one moment where I was just, wow, this is, this is incredible. Like they're all around me. And then last night, 
you know, my, my friend and I we were just going through and we just had these giant grins on our faces as we were, you know, going from place to place. And the best part about this one, it was all done uh, for charity. It was a big fundraiser for a music education program uh, here in L.A. So, you know, tick two boxes, you know, immersive music, click and immersive for good, click. So, yeah. That's, That's great. excellent. That's excellent. And I'm going to have to resist the temptation to just immediately jump into talking about like the different ways that different senses can be utilized and kind of the like unexpected and unexplored realms of that quite yet anyway. Um, because I, I wanted to ask specifically if you could live inside of some kind of fictional or fantasy world um, for a short amount of time and specifically with the caveat that you cannot find yourself into any grievous harm. Is there any world that comes to mind, preferably one that you have not seen turned into an immersive experience as of yet? Well, I mean, I'm, I mean, if we, if we talk in terms of, um, gosh, if we talk in terms of adding, you know, VR to the mix, I've seen just about all of my favorite IP get turned into, um, immersives right so like big star wars fan uh big batman fan you know no no one's done a um no one's done a serious narrative you know batman piece either physical or um or vr yet um but somehow that feels just like a matter of time so like i don't i don't want to get into doing some free consultation for warner brothers right now <laughs> right, here's right. what i do it's like no it's like they want to know uh they can pay me my corporate rate um <laughs> I I mean, I think, I mean, go, gosh, because then I'm thinking like I didn't see what they did for the Expanse down in down in San Diego, but like I I like the Expanse novels a lot, you know. I didn't get down to South by Southwest for either Westworld or or uh, Game of Thrones. Like they've they've kind of like you name a thing that I've liked in the past entire expanse of my life you star trek had the star trek experience in vegas um you know part of it's just like it, it to some degree maybe explains why i'm i'm so dedicated to the form is that pretty much every every story world that i've loved has been adapted into the form or, you know, back in the 90s when I was playing Vampire the Masquerade, we were doing that, you know, ourselves, you know, before the LARP rules were uh, widely distributed, we just modified the tabletop rules and started LARPing, you know, oh, and then about, cool. a, you know, six, then about six months later, we got our, our hands on a copy of the LARP rules. Uh, literally, we started that because we were just too cheap to buy the box set and we didn't necessarily like some of the ideas. And then, you know, a few months later, we got the box set and someone in the group bought the box set. And then we just like, you know, we're like, okay, these, these work fine. These work even better. You know, uh, let's stop carrying around dice in a, in a, in a bubble and just, you know, use, use paper, rock, scissors to settle disputes. So, you know, we've just, we've always been doing this, you know, it's, it's harder for me to like, I mean, you know what I haven't seen yet here. This, I've been working through the IP, the thing that I want, and this, this one's a, a relatively easy lift. I want either the void or dreamscape, um, to do Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, like specifically that art style, you know, um, I love, the Spider-Man games that were that were made 
uh, like Spider-Man one and Spider-Man, well, Spider-Man two. And then like the Spider-Man, uh, ultimate Spider-Man video game, like that experience of swinging around New York city. Yeah. And I yeah. understand the latest one, the, the PS4 one is apparently good, but I don't have a PS4. So I have a long standing grudge against Sony. <laughs> um, well, um, the video game division, that's, that's a whole nother thing. Dreamscape and dreamcast forever. Um, the, but that's one it was, it was going to the void and seeing Wreck-It Ralph and, uh, you know, Wreck-It Ralph, which is a, a the, the first movie I absolutely love. The second movie didn't do it for me, which is sad because I really love the first movie. Um, but being able to enter the world of Wreck-It Ralph was kind of, was really incredible, particularly because, you know, um, it didn't feel like I was entering a video game version of, you know, Wreck-It Ralph because Wreck-It Ralph is a video game. It just, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the world of Wreck-It Ralph now. It wasn't like, oh, like this, this, like, you know, you play Secrets of the Empire or even you play Vader Immortal, um, which both of which I adore, but you know, I'm in, I'm in an Unreal Engine rendered version of the Star Wars galaxy. Right, it doesn't right. look like I'm walking around Galaxy's Edge doing this. It looks like I'm in, you know, Grand Theft Auto V doing this. Um, and that's, that's fine. Uh, but when I put it on and I was in, um, with Wreck-It Ralph, I was like, oh, oh my God, like that's Ralph and that's Penelope, just like they look in the movie, like identical. And I came out of that thinking like, I want to see Spider-Verse in this. Just imagining the way the world would be just mutating in front of you as like glitches happened. And then the different styles of characters, how they would be rendered, um, just this idea of, uh, uh, particularly take that conceit at the end where, you know, and spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen, uh, into Spider-Verse, but if you haven't seen by now, you know, you've had every opportunity. So too bad, <laughs> you know, at the end, they, they do the sequence of Spider-Man 2099 and he like winds up stuck in the 1960s Spider-Man cartoon. And so his art style changes and just that idea that, you know, in VR, you could do that. You could have, art style change like you could be going from dimension to dimension and suddenly you looked different and everything around you looked different and your friends looked different because they fell into a new art style like that that's what i want um out of out of the the embodied vr out of out of a gosh out of a live action one i mean most of the stuff that i truly love has been done um, you know, I, I always want more of it done. Um, but no, I think that's totally yeah. fair. I think that the stylization yeah. angle, like definitely holds quite a lot in there. Um, so we'll definitely wrap back around to that with make it immersive. Um, but before that point, I, I thought it would be kind of fun to start by talking about, um, just the word immersion, which I know is something that you on your show have rehashed a multitude of times. Um, but I thought it could be potentially fitting, given that I definitely dove headlong into that. Um, and all the uh, all the various dynamics of what that word is and could be and has been and potentially will be in appropriation and all these things. But just just um, for any who haven't heard, like. Could you potentially just kind of summarize like what your thinking is around the the word immersion and all of its ambiguity and complexity and confusion even 
Yeah. Well, I mean, for starters, you know, I use immersive and not immersion. Um, and I know you're the immersion nation podcast. One of the reasons why I don't tend to use immersion is, um, it is when you, when you SEO it, it's fairly well tied to scuba diving. Yes. Um, yes, that it is. Like, so, so <laughs> it, that's something where it's just like, just for that reason alone, kind of feeling like that's a diver world, you know, world, you know, term. And there's, there's some, so the, the, the kind of semantic stuff there. I mean, the, the irony is at the end of the day, right. You know, I always point to this, um, about, you know, the better part of 10 years ago, there was a lot of buzz in entertainment around transmedia and transmedia. Um, some people thought of it as, um, you know, multi-platform storytelling, taking a single story and telling it using multiple platforms, multiple channels. And some people saw it as multi-platform story world building um, and saw things like, you know, the franchise efforts at Star Wars, uh, you know, building building this larger, consistent universe where everything kind of tied in. And those two factions warred endlessly. And there was this day where at some conference, I can't remember what the conference was because we were only there for this one thing. Um at the Burbank Ho uh, Airport Marriott, <laughs> there was this conference going on and a bunch of the LA transmedia practitioners and several practitioners from uh, around the globe uh, brought in via Skype. We were trying to have this day-long summit to kind of settle what the word meant. Like, what do we mean when we say transmedia? Because we're all out there selling it. We're all out there making it, but we can't seem to agree. I think friendships ended that day, oh, um, no. it, you know, uh, some of which was because the people on Skype thought that the people in the room weren't listening to them while the people in the room made, made a fair note about how much time the three or four people who are on Skype were dominating the conversation versus the 16 people in the room. Um, and it was just freaking weird. Can we curse? Yes. Yeah. It was just fucking weird. Um, and particularly because it, it, it seemed to me that the obvious answer was anytime you've got a story jumping from, you know, more than one medium, you're transmedia, right? Trans being the opposite of cis, right? Cis being like the same, trans being crossing the boundary, um, and media being a medium. So crosses medium. Done. We don't have to argue about this. It's in the fucking word. Right. Sounds yet, straightforward enough. Right. But the people who, and there's probably some trend, old transmedia heads who are going to be so angry with me this, but <laughs> I was the young pup in the room going like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, there were people in that room whose entire consultancies rested on the idea and their consultancies were their, were their modes of making a living, that their vision of transmedia was the vision of transmedia. And it didn't matter whether they were based in New York or Paris or, you know, Queensland or, or Singapore or San Francisco. Their vision had to win out. Otherwise, they couldn't keep selling their services to BBDO and Warner Brothers and Disney and Fox. And now there's even a Fox to sell it to, you know? So like um, their, their value rested upon their definition being what's important. 
Right, right. And the second when that I you talk- have, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, no, please complete. Oh, I was just going to say, whenever you have something like that, that is tied to someone's living and then by extension tied to their identity, suddenly it becomes very, very quickly something that's incredibly difficult to have a conversation about. Right. So my strategy when I, when I pivoted into immersive and my exploration of immersive began in that world, the dinner parties I was having with transmedia practitioners who were more interested well, not more, but who are as or more interested in the live elements of what was being done in the, in the, in the alternate reality games and the other transmedia practices. You know, those are folks like Jay Bushman, who has done a ton of campaigns uh, for things like, you know, the Terminator franchise and who was on the Emmy winning team for Lizzie Bennett Diaries. Folks like Sarah Thatcher, who uh, was one of the designers on the Jejun Institute and then went in-house at WDI and has worked on all kinds of of high-level experimental stuff for Walt Disney Imagineering and is working on some very large projects right now. Like, that was that was my dinner party crew, and we were just obsessed with the idea of immersive theater, and they're the ones who said, Noah, go see Sleep No More, because we were talking about producing our own work, and then that led to my entire life to this day, and that was, you know, six years ago, right? So out of that world, I started to see, you know, this idea of taking the stuff that was... Um, that was the part that was most interesting to me, which was when people could enter into physically enter into or virtually enter into that story world and start interacting with it. When you could, you know, dive in to, to get into the immersive and the immersion part of it. Um, What I like about the field right now is, is it is kind of a semi permeable barrier. What I worry about is when people slap um, sorry, the email came up. Um, when people just slap the term on any old thing, um, particularly when they'll they'll slap the term on you know what we call a, a selfie palace, and and the thing is that sometimes you go to a selfie palace, and um, well, most times you go to a selfie palace and you're like, here is a lame art installation that was made for commercial purposes that isn't even well executed boring right once in a while you go and it's it's really good and that's like there's this continuum or you get to like the thing that culminates right when you get to like the museum of ice cream when you get to like the sprinkle pool or you get or at candy topia when you get to the marshmallow pit suddenly you're like Oh my God, this is the thing. This is amazing. I didn't know I wanted a marshmallow pit. I didn't know I wanted a sprinkle pool. Indeed, the sprinkle pool was like, that's like the, 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 the kernel of inspiration for the museum of ice cream. Right. So there's still this, this, this sense of awe, this sense of wonder, this sense of like, I can't believe they did the thing. I've long been obsessed in theater with the idea of when the performance becomes the thing itself, when it stops being something that indicates, when it stops being a symbol, when it stops being something that signifies an idea or an emotion, and it just transcends and becomes, for a moment, it becomes that emotion, right? It's not a song about love. It is love. It's not an experience about finding yourself as, 
as a as as a as a hero who's reaching for something better than that, but it's what came up. Uh, it's it's being the hero at that moment. It's falling in love with that person just for a moment, right? It doesn't have to be forever, you know? In some ways, it kind of acknowledges that this moment is all we have and that life is transitive and, you know, that experience you have with someone, it, it may fade in time or it may stay with you, but the memory can stay with you forever, right? But for for a brief moment, your your world is disrupted and you've got this, this relationship between you and the other, uh, between you and the idea. That's, if people are making work that enables that moment, then I'm interested and I'm interested in what they have to offer the field and what they have to offer the world. Um, that means that something like Candlehouse Collective's uh, kind of audio dramas, for lack of a better term, which are delivered one-on-one um, via the phone, which are interactive to varying degrees, that that goes in. I consider that immersive, even though it's not embodied the way, you know, which is the major litmus test for 95%. But you get so engaged in what you're, what's going on between you and the characters that you're able to enter into the world. And at least the one that I did over the weekend, you know, the, it makes sense that we're only connected over the phone. And right, it's, right. It's as, it's as real as it would be as, you know, if you were, it's not like you're, it's not like you're, you know, talking to someone over the phone and pretending that you're doing something other than talking to someone over a, a, a radio device, right? You know, you're not pretending to be in the room with them. Um, so, you know, if the person just happened to be on the other, they could be across the country or be on the other side of the door. Or when someone, you know, when like uh, Kate Lane and Elizabeth uh, Stranum, when they do, uh, I just messed up Elizabeth's name, <laughs> when they do, uh, when they did Dead Play um, and it was all done through text messages and Instagram video chat, um, the qualitative nature of what they're doing, you know, creates that moment still <laughs> creates that feeling that you're in, that you're living a different life for a moment. So the, the physical medium doesn't matter to me as much as that building of a world uh, and using the tool. Like if I hand you a phone, I'm not going to tell you that it's anything other than, you know, a, a data and telecommunication device. I'm not going to tell you that it is a blaster or something, you know, right, right. Like I'm You're not, not gonna asking you, for that suspension you know. of disbelief. Right. Like the closest you get is at Disneyland, you open up the play app and then suddenly becomes your data pad. But like functionally, you know, it is no, it is no different from like a data pad in star Wars. Like it's exactly what it would be. Right. There's a one-to-one correspondence between the physical thing that you're doing and the physical thing that's operating in that world, right? Yeah. Like that's that that you can almost think of immersive, like the qualities of immersive as lowering impedance. Now, here's where I go audio nerd on you. Something I rarely do. Um, oh, but please, for those those who aren't, and and I don't have a gra- I don't have the best 
um, you know, uh, grasp of this because not an audio engineer uh, in in the in the soldering wires together sense. I'm an audio engineer in the patching uh, sound system together and cutting things on fine. You know, on uh, on uh, ooh, dear God, it's been so long since I've worked on the major stuff that I can't even remember the name of the software. Uh, these days, it's logic. We'll say logic for lack of a better term. Uh, I was about to say sound designer too, and that would definitely date me. Pro Tools. <laughs> I was thinking Pro Tools. I haven't touched Pro Tools in like. Six years though, uh, but I could still probably find my way around it depending on they haven't changed things too much. If they even make Pro Tools anymore, I don't know. Oh yeah, oh, um, yeah. I, oh they do great. I've been using GarageBand because it works. It's like it works and it's free. I'm like I don't need anything more than this. Yep, you know? Fair enough. Uh, I get, I, yeah, I get tempted by Logic once in a while, and I'm like fancy thing. And I'm like you don't need it. I'm like yeah, I don't need it. Um, impedance. Impedance. When you're dealing with audio, uh, you want. A, a wire, you want a piece of equipment that's got a low impedance because impedance is something that keeps the signal from getting through. It's, it's, it's the resistance you have um, in the equipment to delivering the signal that you want. When you're working immersive, you want tools that provide low impedance. You do not want to get in the way of the audience experiencing the emotions, the ideas, the lives, the truths that you are trying to present to them. You don't want to jumble on a bunch of stuff that they have to juggle and remember. And how does this work? Some of this comes from those early dinner parties where I came back very excited about the arrival of the Oculus Rift. And I was sitting there going like, oh my God, I was, I was at E3 and like I sat down and they put the, the headset on and they handed me a controller and I was in a cockpit and suddenly it was like I was in an X-Wing. Then I was just like, I was just using an Xbox controller. It was totally cool. And Sarah Thatcher was like, oh, uh, I'm, I don't know my way around a controller. I wouldn't want to do that. And I was like, what? Huh? But like, it's just, it's so easy. Hi, idiot gamer here. Of course, operating an Xbox controller with a blindfold on, which is functionally what a headset is, uh, is easy for me. So all this leaves us with the question, how do we explain what we did on Saturday night? If immersive entertainment can't be talked about as a single medium, how do you give the vital two-second explanation? My tactic has been just to tell people precisely what you did. I went to 15 concerts in one building. I got to be a Cold War spy for two hours. I discovered an incredible art exhibit inside of a refrigerator. But how do you go about this? I would love to hear your tricks for the two-second explanation. So if you want to help me and the immersive community figure out the best way to go about it, DM Immersion Nation on Instagram or shoot me an email and tell me how you do it. Links for both of those will be in the show notes at immersionnation.com slash podcast, along with links to everything else we discussed in the show. And of course, until next time, thank you for joining us on this adventure.